Dear Church family, today's sermon text is a, an unusual one which I've chosen in Nehemiah 3.14, which reads, But the dumb gate repaired Malchiah, the son of Rechab, the ruler of parts of Bethesaron. But the dumb gate repaired Malchiah, the son of Rechab, the part, the ruler of part of Beth Hesarim. What is a ruler of the district or part of the district of, of Jerusalem doing repairing a besieged and no doubt filthy dung gate that was on fire, these big gates he had around the city of Jerusalem, that this particular gate was the refuge a refuse gate of the city. And if we know anything about this gate from Scripture, we'll know that through it uh, there was the valley of Hanin. And if we know of the valley of Hanin, it was a hellish place. It was, I'm not going to go into the particulars, um, but it is a picture of hell, really, this valley of Hanin, the terrible things that have happened in the past there. And so, what is the ruler? And a small band, as it were, of God's faithful servants and people doing on the dumb gate. This unseemly picture we see here, as it were, doing this work, not getting paid for it. They're, they're willingly doing this work on the dumb gate, as it were. This rule of all these different types of people from different backgrounds, what are they doing here? On places like the dumb gate and the fish gate. And upon the wall of Jerusalem? Well, to answer that question, we need to consider the God-inspired penman of the book, Nehemiah. We read in chapter 1 of Nehemiah how that he was, that is Nehemiah. He was in Shushan, the palace which is in Iran. He was one of the children of Israel taken into captivity by the previous king, King Nebuchadnezzar. Never pronounce it, Nebuchadnezzar. In the providence of God, however, some men of Judah informed Nehemiah of the remnant upon his request, of the remnant that were left in Jerusalem, the remnant of God's people, who were in great affliction and who were in great reproach. The walls of Jerusalem also were broken down, and the gates thereof burned. With fire. And when Nehemiah heard what had happened to God's people and that holy city of Jerusalem, where often the Lord displayed his glory, he was distraught, wasn't he? He wept and he mourned for days, didn't he? And he fasted and he prayed to the God of heaven. And we see in verse Five of chapter 1, this wonderful, the fruits of this wonderful, this wonderful prayer in, in, in crying to the Lord right up pretty much until the end of the chapter, this wonderful prayer of Nehemiah, full of confession of sin for himself and for, of course, his people, and an utter reliance upon the Lord, and almost a going back, as it were, and confessing the faults previously and the, and the words which the Lord warned them of 
which these things would surely come to pass. And we see in chapter 2, don't we, how God answered this wonderful prayer. I wonder if we pray like this, dear brethren. I wonder if we pour out our hearts before the Lord in this way, with broken and contrite hearts. His heart was towards Jerusalem, wasn't it? That holy city. His heart had in mind God's honour. And you know, in over five occasions, uh, around about six occasions throughout the book of Nehemiah, if you read it in one sitting from the, from the uh, start to the end, Nehemiah bursts, as it were, with these words, Remember me, O God, remember me, look upon me. You, you hear him throughout the book. And what he's not saying is, remember my works, what I'm doing. I'm doing these things for salvation. What he's really saying is that you put these things in my heart. You've shown me such love and mercy. You've spared me. And so he's doing these things out of love for the Lord. Him and his fellow compatriots, as it were, they're doing these things because they're dedicated to the Lord. They love the Lord. The Lord and His mercy have spared them. And they've become very serious, very dedicated to the Lord. And so we see this right throughout the book. Him cry to the Lord, remember me. Lord, remember me. And the Lord God granted Nehemiah the desire of his heart and gave him favour in the sight of the king. Everything that was needed, as it were, was given, amazingly. The letters for him to make the journey back to Jerusalem, as it were, to the governors, that, that journey past all those provinces and places, the letters were given, and of course the provision was given not only for him, but for his, 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 his the people who would be going with him to help him, and, of course, the materials he needed as well from Asa. And so all the provision was given to him. What a wonderful answer to prayer we see here. And here's a man, really, one day, who was in this magnificent Persian palace. You can imagine the, that palace, as it were, the beauty of it, the splendor of it. The greatness of it, of the Babylonian Empire, as it were. And here he is one day, right beside the king, as it were, serving the king as the king's cupbearer. He was in a privileged position, wasn't he? And, as it were, not a few, not a, not a few days later, there he swaps it all, doesn't he? To be on the dung gate, as it were. To be on the dung port, as it were. To be in this besieged city. To give it all up, as it were. This wonderful Persian palace with such blessings. And when we see him giving it all up, as it were. Not for money, but because he loves the Lord. And, and he did it really to serve the remnant of God's people. In a, in a city laid waste. In Nehemiah 2.13, we are told that Nehemiah went out by night when he... When he got to the, back to Jerusalem, by the gate of the valley, even before the dragon well, and to the dung port, the dung port, and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and the gates thereof consumed with fire. What a picture the word of God paints here for us. There he is, 
on the downpours, seeing what had happened to that great city, seeing really the warnings that the Lord had spoken before time that would happen. And there he is, as it were, discreetly going about at night, surveying the damage of Jerusalem and calculating the extent thereof, what was needed. And once he had done this, he spoke to those whose hearts also the Lord was working in. Those hearts who were moved and stirred really out of love for the Lord and were like-minded in that respect. As it says in Nehemiah 2.18, so they strengthened their hands for this good work. Now as we know, dear brethren, there was much opposition against them, wasn't there? Much. Their enemies laughed them to scorn, didn't they? They belittled them, they maligned them, they plotted against God's people. They thought, how can these bunch of people, how can they make any difference here? Sanballat, Tobiah, and the Arabians, they laughed them, they plotted against them. There was much opposition to this work, wasn't there? They even rose up false prophets to ensnare Nehemiah. They even plotted and conspired to kill them. And these were people, men, women, and children. People with their families. You have cases with a father and his daughters. Father and his sons. Women and children. The small band of faithful few. And they conspired all these enemies against God's remnant here. And, uh, and so, there was much opposition to the work. And they not only had these troubles from without, as it were, these many, much opposition, far greater than them, than them, they also had these many troubles from within. There were many issues to sort out from within. And nevertheless, Nehemiah and a faithful few of God's true people, committed people, persevered by God's sovereign grace. The city walls and gates were repaired and the breaches thereof were fortified once again. It took about 52 days or so, uh, not shy of two months, um, but by God's sovereign grace it was done. But for a time Nehemiah had to return, didn't he? He was a dutiful man and so he kept his word to the king and he, and he went back. And to his post again and serving the king as the king's cupbearer, the king of Babylon. However, his heart was in Jerusalem, and he was soon granted leave again and found favour in the king's sight and went back to Jerusalem. Upon returning to Jerusalem, he had to correct many of the corruptions and the grievances that came in, that crept in. And he had to purge them out. We see him chasing the Horonites. That such was his godly zeal. And Nehemiah was a great reforming witness here. And who was absolutely dedicated to the Lord and to the Lord's people. And to the Lord's causes and to the Lord's honour. He loved the Lord. Didn't he? He, was a, he was all in. All in for the Lord. Could this is describe us. Are we all in? For the Lord, as it were. Are we completely dedicated to Him? Well, we see this not only with Nehemiah, 
But we see this with all the true saints of all. They were all men, weren't they? They were getting paid money for this. this they, they did this because they loved the Lord. He was absolutely committed to God's service with a faithful few of the Lord's people who were like-minded. And like I said, these were people from all different backgrounds. Read it for yourselves. These, you had fathers working with their daughters. You had uh, dads working with their sons. You had wives. We're on the dunghill. This, this place burning with fire next to the, the, the valley of Hanan, that parish place. They were there, as it were, giving up their creature comforts. This is so unusual, isn't it? This is not the Christianity that we see nowadays, do we, in the West? So unusual, isn't it, dear friends? Absolutely committed, as it were. They were willing to be spent for the Lord and to get their hands dirty, as it were, spiritually speaking. Even if that meant working on the dunghill, on the dung pools, and the dung gate, and the fish gate, and the walls of Jerusalem, being laughed at, being scorned, being belittled and maligned, being plotted against, their lives being in jeopardy, all these things, being afflicted and, and reproached for God's honour. We see this, yeah, don't we, friends? And so, to answer the question I put to us at the beginning of today's sermon, what is this ruler and a small band, really, of God's people, men, families, women, children, from all different walks of life. What are they doing? <laughs> what are they doing? Repairing the dung gates and the fish gates and the walls, burning with fire, being laughed at, being plotted against, conspired against, false prophets being raised up against them. What are they doing? What are they doing here? Well, the answer is, dear friends, they're here because they love the Lord. Because God so moved in their heart, God's love meant that much to them. It stirred them to live and to commit their very lives to the Lord, despite their past failings. You see, perhaps before their captivity, perhaps they may not have been so serious to the Lord. But now something has changed. Perhaps there's, there's been a stirring in their heart by the Holy Spirit of God that's convicted them in their, their hearts that these things have, have gone about because they weren't as serious as they ought to have been about God, about His Word, about His promises. But now, you see, now there's a change despite their failings. They are now absolutely serious and committed to the things of the Lord. To the Lord, they're on the dung gate, as it were. This unseemly work. There is a divine calling here, isn't there? There's a divine commissioning here, isn't there, friends? And this makes me really pose the question to each and every one of us gathered here today. I speak to myself as, as well as I speak to each and every one of us. Has there been a divine calling? in your very heart and your very soul? Has there been a great change, a great transaction in your heart? Have you become serious about your God, about so great a salvation? Has this happened? Has there been a turning 
Is there an absolute commit, a, a, an absolute commitment to the Lord in your life, or is there still one foot in the world, as it were? This cherry picking Christianity that we see, and the reason I ask the question really is because committed Christians in the days that we are living in are like God does. They are. They're like they're like jewels, really. That they're God does. There's so very few and far between. I suppose, really, the words of the Saviour come to mind in Matthew 24, 12, which speaks of the Christianity of our day. Because iniquity shall abound, the Lord Jesus says, the love of many shall wax cold. Because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. There is a great falling away, isn't there, of true committed believers, those who truly love the Lord, those who truly, those who truly have turned to the Lord and are living to the Lord. The Lord Jesus said in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, "Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind." Is that a one-a-day-week Christianity? It's not, is it? It's not a one-day-a-week Christianity. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. That's a commandment, isn't it? To love God with everything. All in. I'm all in for God. I'm completely turning from, from the things of this world myself to Christ. And what's the main word there? All. All. With all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, with all my understanding. I'm not leaning on my own understanding. With all my understanding, with all my strength, with, with the desire of my heart, with everything. I'm turning now. How can I neglect so great a God who's laid down his life for me, who's become sin for me? Who's died and suffered for me, who spared not his only son for me. How can I withhold anything from him? Him who is loved like no other. How can I do it? His love demands my life, my soul, my all, my strength. I'm all in now. And this is exactly what we see here, don't we? With Nehemiah and this faithful few of God's people who the good hand of the Lord was upon. It really, really mystifies me, especially in recent years, the lack of spiritual appetites many, many professing Christians have in coming to midweek meetings and prayer meetings. As if it's an optional truth. If it's just an optional thing. There's this lack of hunger. The engine room of the church where victories, great battles of victories are won. For the Lord, where two or three are gathered in His name, there He is in the midst. Where God's people are together, iron sharpened of iron, as it were. Where God often reveals and blesses our families and His causes, makes known His will that directs and blesses us. The lack of commitment and dedicated, it's telling, isn't it? It is so telling. The lack of heart many have for evangelism nowadays, it's telling. 
This commitment is what we see. This absolute awe and commitment is what we see in Nehemiah and the faithful few back then. And let me just quote a few passages from the book of Nehemiah just to validate that very fact. Nehemiah 4.6 says, So we built the wall, and all the, the, the wall was joined together unto the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. Nehemiah 4.6 For the people had a mind, a mind to work. Were they getting paid for it? No, they weren't, were they? This was God's work. They gave up much for this work. They had a tool in one hand, repairing the gates, cutting, hammering, doing all this thing. And they had a weapon in the other, day and night, because they conspired their enemies much against them, working with their families and their children, and then a sword in the other. Remarkable commitment we see here. Nehemiah 4, 8 and 9 says, And conspired all of them together to come and to fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. Hinder what? Hinder the good work of the Lord. This is God's work, isn't it? That's where the, 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 the real problems in our society are. It's the hindering of God's work. And it says here, all conspired. The, the, the forces of hell were raised up against this small band, wasn't it? But look at this, dear friends. Look at verse 9. Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto our God. We made our prayer unto our God. That sounds like a prayer meeting to me, doesn't it? That sounds when God's people get together and they cry to the Lord. They're not getting together as, just as a duty. They do because they love the Lord. And then they get together and they cry to the Lord. We made our prayer unto our God. There's ownership here, isn't there? We made our prayer unto our God and set a watch against them day and night because of them. Day and night. They were there, weren't they? As it were. Giving it all up for the Lord. Their prayers, this prayer meeting as it were, turned into action, didn't it? Nehemiah 4.17 says, They which build it on the wall, and they which bear the burden with those that laid it, every one with, with, every one, with one of his hands wrought in the work, and with the other hand held a weapon. <laughs> Imagine that. These, these, these remnants of people that have a, a, a hammer, they have a cutting wood, they, they, with one hand they've got a tool, and in the other They've got a sword, they've got a weapon, as it were. Remarkable dedication to the Lord. This, dear friends, is what true Christianity is about. It is faith in action, isn't it? That's what the Bible does. That's a true working on the Holy Spirit. Faith in action. It's a picture, really, of the Bible. In one hand, the word of the living God, the sword of the Spirit, and the work of God in the other I read the Bible, I'm moved by the Bible, I'm moved by the words of God, and I do the work of God. And how indifferent is this to the Christianity we see amongst us? Dear friends, Nehemiah 4.23 says, So neither I nor my brethren, nor my servants, 
nor the men of the guard which followed thee. None of us put off our clothes, saving that everyone put them off for washing. <laughs> do you wash, brethren? I hope you do. I hope you do wash. <laughs> it's not saying for us not to wash yet. But the remarkable thing is, is that these godly people, these remnants of God's people, the only time they changed their clothes, really, was really when, when they needed to. They slept, <laughs> effectively, in their clothes. They were so dedicated to the Lord. The only time they changed was when they washed. And it reminds me of that great reformer, Martin Luther. He was so spent, so dedicated to the, to the Lord out of love, that he would come home, and out of sure exhaustion, sweating, clothes on, he would just collapse, as it were, onto his, what was his bed back then, and drenched in sweat, sleeping in his sweat in his clothes. I'm not recommending this, by the way. <laughs> but he would literally just collapse. And uh, he was that dedicated to the Lord. And no wonder why the Lord brought in his life the great, he was a great reformer, but the Lord brought in the great domestic reformer, his wife, didn't he? <laughs> to, uh, to give him a sense of perspective there, to help him in that respect. Now friends, if, I can, if you can allow me to be frank for a minute, there quite simply may be two reasons why you may not be committed as a Christian. There's, there's two reasons I can see in the scriptures why you're not absolutely all in for the Lord. And I'm sorry to say that the first reason may very well be that you're not yet a true, born-again believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I, and I have to say that, because I'm charged to say that. You see, it is possible for you to intellectually know much about the Christian life. You, you can, it is possible, without actually having the Holy Spirit within you, moving you to, to love the Lord, to be dedicated to Him. You, there, is, there, there is many, which the Bible describes, that have this intellectual knowledge about the Christian life, without actually knowing the, the great working of the Holy Spirit within their hearts, moving them to live for the Lord. Of course, the parable of the ten virgins testify to this very fact. Five were ready, weren't they? They were absolutely committed and dedicated to the Lord. They had received the Holy Spirit. They were being guided. They had, they had oil in the lamps, as it were. They, they, they were absolutely all in for the Lord. But amongst them were the five that were not. They had not yet received the Holy Spirit. They were amongst the, the visible church, but they were not really true Christians because they had not yet received the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit of God that creates a new desire to live a holy, dedicated, consecrated life for Christ. Let me say that again. It is the Holy Spirit of God, when someone is born again, that creates a, a desire, a new desire, to live a holy, dedicated, consecrated, committed life for Christ. And though it may start off as a, a mustard seed, it may start off small when you're just converted. 
It grows, doesn't it? And grows. And holiness and commitment and service to the Lord grows. It is a mockery. It's a mockery if this is not the case. Because the Holy Spirit is exactly who he says he is. He is holy. He wants holiness in our life. He wants us to be wholly committed to the Lord. It's a mockery if we're not growing in the Lord and in dedication to the Lord. Something's the problem in our life and in our hearts. We can profess many things. We can know much doctrinally. But if we're not growing in the Lord and dedication, if we're not living for another world, for Christ and eternity, something's wrong, isn't there? This is so indifferent to Nehemiah, to the New Testament saints. Dear friends, it's the Holy Spirit. And John 14, 26 really validates this. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things. That's how a believer in Christ is taught to love God and to serve God and to be illuminated by God. That's what moves someone within the very core of their being. Without the Holy Spirit, we're dead in trespasses and sins, aren't we? He shall teach you all things, all things, everything pertaining to Christ, His words and eternal life, all things. And bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. God's word takes on a new form, doesn't it? It becomes the living word. We become very, very serious over it. Very dedicated over it. Dare we anymore cherry pick the bits which we like and the bits which we don't anymore? No, 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 friends. I don't see this with Nehemiah. I don't see this with a small band of believers here. We're all in. You've got to be, you see. You've got to be. You've got to be all in. It's got to be all in for the Lord or nothing. God will never compete with his creature, you see. We cannot, we cannot have idols in our hearts and, and, and think that somehow that God will compete with those things that we've made into our gods. We've got to be all in, friends. And perhaps the reason why so many Christians remain so uncommitted to Christ's spotless bride, the Church of Jesus Christ, amongst many other things, is because perhaps, until now, they have not truly understood the gospel of grace. That's in Christ. And which is by faith alone. In Christ's finished work alone. They haven't truly turned in their heart as it were, like we see these bad people here. There hasn't been a true turning in the heart and saying, I'm all in now. God hasn't so moved in their heart to say, I'm all in now. I am now, by faith, taking hold upon the Lamb of the living God and I'm putting everything behind me now. God is calling me. Will I not yield to his call now in my life? I'm not talking about me, I'm talking about the Word. Will, will I not yield my life, my soul, to the great benefactor of my life, the God who is loved like no other? Perhaps up until now, your Christianity has been more about you than it has about God. You know, before I was converted, I called myself a Christian. My Christianity 
was nothing like what the Bible describes. I was not dedicated at all. I was very worldly. But when I truly became a Christian, though I still had fault, but I, there was a seriousness there. there. There was an absolute turning. And, and I put it all down to the grace of God, dear friends. Perhaps you, your Christianity is more about you. It's more about the, the type of Christianity that fits in with your lifestyle. This cherry-picking Christianity. Well, I like, I like the, the, I like the certain aspects of the Christian life. I certainly don't like the notion of hell. I like some of the Christian things appeal to me. You know, being nice and to be a husband, being loving to his wife, and a wife submitting to a husband. And I, I like some of these things in the Christian life. Yeah, they are pleasant things. And, I, and I've kind of cherry-picked the bits of Christianity which I, I like. And the, the bits which I don't, I, I, they kind of, I find a little bit challenging. Well, I've kind of just blacked those out. What are those bits? Well, it's a complete and utter turning, isn't it? A turning from self to Christ. It must be, friends. You must be all in. It has to be. There's no other salvation. You've got to be utterly reliant upon Christ and His finished work. Dedicated as a living sacrifice. You're a sacrifice. You're dead. You're dead to the world, but you're living because you live to Christ, aren't you? This was what we see. This is what we see with God's true people. This is what we need, isn't it, friends? It must be all about God. It must be all about Christ. It must be all about Him, friends. Like the Lord Jesus said Himself, Nevertheless, not, not my will, but Thine be done. It's all about Him. It's all about doing His work. doesn't matter the cost. There's a great cost for becoming a Christian. Don't believe in this superficial, shallow, base Christianity we see in our day. This social gospel, this prosperity gospel, you become a Christian, your life will, will be great, you'll get all these things. How superficial, how shallow. Oh, friends, we see the Lord, He was willing to give it all up. Sweet communion He had with His Father from eternity past. Imagine that. The God the Son, the sweet, blessed community. He had a community communion. He had with His Father the love they shared, the unity they shared. And yet He was willing to be separated from His, his Father, His tender Father, who was one with the Father. And He was willing to undergo that out of, out of love. He was willing to be made sin. He knew no sin. He was willing to be scorned at, to be mocked, to be made a curse out of love for you. That love, friends, it, it demands our heart, doesn't it? It demands our life. When this call comes to the heart, it, it strikes with force, doesn't it? How can we resist such a call? Dare we go on, dear friends, uncommitted to the Lord? A day further, when we have such a God of love and mercy, who we can cry out to earnestly, sincerely, and know of His salvation, full and free and lasting. We can know of this love, we can know of the peace that puts everything into perspective, a home in heaven, all our fears, all our anxieties, we can put upon the Saviour, that's why He's there. 
He says, come to me, come. He is meek and lowly. He will receive you, friends. Come. No one is meek and as lowly as he was. He will come and, rec- and he will receive you. He will, know- he will upbraid you for your faults. As it were. He will uh, freely pardon you every single sin because of his finished work on the cross, friends. Friends, if I am describing the, the, the spiritual condition of anyone gathered here today, please, please, I beseech you for the mercies of God, don't kick against the pricks of conscience. Don't say, this is not me. I don't need this message. When deep down, it may be you. It may be in your heart that you're not absolutely committed and serious to the Lord and, and His Word. It is better that you be honest with your God and your Maker and become, become absolutely serious about Christ and His salvation and your soul and have that true assurance. Do you have that true assurance that you're Christ's? Think upon the Saviour and think all that He has done for needy sinners like, like you and I. Think upon, upon what He suffered on the cross of Calvary. What it cost Him to lay down His holy spotless life for how deserving sinners, so that we can be made righteous in Him, so that we can be justified in Him, and have a home in heaven, and call upon our God, and know of His finished work, and know of His cleansing, and know the power of God through the Holy Spirit. Oh friends, think upon the Lord. Philippians 2, 7, 8 says, But, but made Himself of no reputation, and took upon Him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in the fashion of man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Will you humble yourself? Will I humble myself in my heart this day and trust upon the Saviour Christ and his finished work on the cross? The work is finished. The complete work of salvation is done in Christ. Will you receive him in your heart, friends, and finally become serious? and completely and utterly dedicated to the Lord in all aspects of your life, in your personal heart towards the Lord, in your family life, in the, in the bride of Christ, in the church of Christ. Will you hate what he hates and love what he loves? Romans 8.30 says, Moreover, whom he did predestinate, then he also called. And whom he called, then he also justified. And whom he justified, then he also glorified. God never saved someone who is not justified. And God never justified someone who is not sanctified and lived for Him. Every one true child of God who is justified will be sanctified and grow in sanctification and dedication. Now, dear church family, let me just finish today's sermon with a few words in closing to those who are not committed and dedicated to the Lord in everything, perhaps because for a matter of months or perhaps even years, you may be in a backslidden state. There may be of things that have stumbled and made you fall for some time. We see this uh, amongst God's people. It does happen. This has happened to me, dear friends, when a huge tragedy hit my life in the faith. I stumbled for a, for a time. And this, this may be true of you, dear friends, that uh, you may be in a backslidden condition. And let me just remind uh, such of, uh, of this truth, that there is no joy 
for the backslidering heart. It's a truth, isn't it? I remember deep down when I backslid for the Lord, uh, and uh, for a time, as it were, the, the, the joy, this, this, I'm talking about spiritual joy here, joy for the soul, old oh, friends. There's no joy for the backslider in heart, is there? No lasting peace for the soul. How can the fleeting things of this world ever satisfy the longing soul of a true Christian? They can't, can you? It's only a matter of time before the backslider is brought back, as it were, the true Christian. It's only a matter of time, friends, because, because they, 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 they're living for the Lord. They love the Lord, as it were. And perhaps there are things that have made you stumble, as it were. Perhaps even, sad to say, other people, other Christians have put stumbling blocks with, with words. Maybe they've been, maybe they've been harsh. Uh, uh, and maybe there have been there's things, tragedies that happen in your life. Perhaps. Oh dear friends, the Good Shepherd is ready and willing, ever ready and willing to pick you up. The sheep has fallen. He is there to pick up he, he will hear your cry if it's done earnestly, like we see with Nehemiah and the saints of old. He will hear your cry of confession, and he will pardon every single sin. And dear friends, he will revive you again and restore you in the faith. He will love you freely, dear friends, as he always does. He will not upbraid you for past sins, as it were, and put the, the finger, as it were, he will forgive you, friends. He will pour upon his love and his peace and his blessing upon you. He promises so. Come home to Christ, dear friends. He will receive you. He will nourish your soul once again. Your heart and soul will be nourished with the Word and with the Spirit once more. He will put his healing hand upon you, dear friends. And he will bless you. Oh, friends, come to the Lord. You perhaps have backslidden for a time. Come back, come back to the Savior. And he promises he will bless you.